Upper 90, a podcast presented by Sand and Surf Soccer Club. Harry Keane for the Hotspurs. Ooh, top shelfer. Hey guys, we're back again here with the Upper 90 podcast, sponsored by Sand and Serve Soccer Club. I'm your host, Dan McCarthy, joined again weekly by my co-hosts, Carl Dixon and Sam Furhurst. How are we doing, guys? How's things? Good. It's uh, nice to be coming in Monday morning as a champion. What do you mean? Explain this. Oh, sorry. Uh, you know, I told you I was playing in that, that tournament this weekend, the, uh, the Charity Shield. The, for the Steve Nash Foundation Charity Shield that's an in- England competition isn't it I think that's where he got it from yeah and it, you actually do get a shield when you win it's oh. actually a, I forgot to let you know I actually put it up in the corner uh, yeah so tournament to uh, raise money for his uh, his foundation ended up showing up halfway through joined my team and uh, brought on the shield congrats mate any other coaches involved in this tournament uh, yeah yeah one of our uh, one of our coaches, Mr. Kevin Lopez. Hey. He was uh, walking around talking about being World Cup champion with him being French and all this sort of stuff. And got, 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 to, got to the final and uh, the shield ended up coming home, didn't it, eh? Coming up, it's coming <laughs> Did you not know Kevin was telling me you had a few superstars on your team? He just just very one. unfair. No, just, just one superstar. Oh, uh, who was that? <laughs> Go, goalkeeper. Well, speaking of that, we, uh, when we got to the final... Here we, here we go, people. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> with, it, with it being such a big occasion, the uh, they they had commentators like on the microphone, so commentating on the game, and uh, it was getting quite intense. Obviously, you guys have seen how intense Kevin is. He had a few players on his team that were similar to him, so we were getting quite intense. It was like one one nil, one one, two one, two two, and the commentators were going, and they kept kind of picking out names and lookalikes for players, so they kept calling me Scolzi. So it'd be like, oh, great goal from Scolzi or great pass from Scolzi or Scholzi. Paul Scholzi. Anyway, as it went on, picking different names for different players. After the game, one of the referees comes over to me and oh. says, "Can I get a picture?" So I was like, "Yeah, of course you can." With Steve Nash? No, just me. Oh, right. So I take a picture with his ref, and he gets another ref to take it, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, thank you, shaking my hand, all this stuff." No, you're not going to say what The referee that took the picture, when this ref had left, he said, oh, thanks for doing that. He's going to send it to his daughter, who's a big uh, big soccer fan. She's going to Fullerton next year. She's got a scholarship. I was like, great. <clears throat> About three hours later, it dawned on me. He thought I was Paul Scholes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. He didn't ask anyone else for a picture. <laughs> the, only, the only people he was trying to get pictures with was like Steve Nash, Maurice Adu, Stu Holden. And then me. <laughs> and it was only a few hours later when I put two and two together. I think he thought I was Paul's goals. What do you think, what do you think about that? <laughs> no comment. Pat, move it on, please. <laughs> I think it's an upgrade from Steve Bruce. I'll right? take it. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> anything from you, Carl? Get out to anything this weekend? Nah, mate. Just the usual. Coaching. Relaxing. Watch the boxing. Oh yeah, the uh, Triple G fight. What do you think about that? Uh, it was an unbelievable fight, you know. Right, cool. Canelo. I w- I would give a draw, but I don't think they can give a draw. Uh, 
But to be honest, hard fight to call. Could have went either way. No, it wasn't fantastic. Sal, I don't suppose you got to watch that because you were too busy winning the final, right? Yeah, yeah. I was busy bringing home trophies and, and drinking champagne. Yeah. There was after that ref took that picture. There was a line of people wanting a picture, so yeah, I only got home late. You know? <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, let's get into it. So today we're going to go into uh, talking about how important is it to win your next game or tournament. Now we're heading into the full league. We'll specify more of a game. How important is it to win your game at the weekend? Who who wants to kick it off? Anybody? I'll kick it off. Here we go. The OC. <clears throat> the whistle goes. Alright. Uh, I don't think winning the next game is the goal or it's important. But I do think teaching our kids, you know, how to win and being able to win is definitely important for sure. But it's not, as a coach, my goal certainly going into the weekend isn't how am I going to come up with this result. I'm not thinking about that. Now, Obviously, I coach different age groups, and we're talking about youth, but when you're coaching a seven-year-old team, I'm certainly not afraid of any plan and how do I get the result in the next game. But I think it's important to teach the kids about winning and losing and how to do that. I'll give you, actually, I've got a good example of this. So this weekend, my 2010s won, won the game. And, uh, you know, it was a typical 2010 game back and forth, back and forth, but the other team played well. Their style was actually much better than ours. We were playing on a bigger field, and the kids found it very tough to get used to that bigger field. Mm -hmm. But uh, after the game, I kind of said to the kids, I was like, look, I know you are all happy that you got the win, got the result, but my expectations on how we play is way higher than what happened. And, you know, Usually we send our emails to our team and I kind of said to the parents in, in youth development, short-term wins don't, uh, don't always develop long-term goals. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think there's a prime example of the kind of coach that I am and the coaches that we are that, that, that getting that win meant absolutely nothing to me. You know, losing a game means absolutely nothing to me. I'm looking at technically how the kids play and how the team plays. So it wasn't champagne on Saturday night after the win then, no? Uh, nah, nah, no, no, no. Can't but, that. but then when you go into looking at 13, 14, 15, older, I think it's important there how to manage games. And if you're winning 1-0, what do you do? Or uh, how can you get into the game to have the results? So I think it's important there. But, but as a coach, I'm certainly, even after those games, not walking back into a changing room and getting ready for a match interview to scold the players on that we didn't get the results so no it's it's not in my head but I think it's important to teach the kids how to plan to get there mm -hmm. and doing it the right way so just before we get over to Sam just quickly what do you think you mentioned age there different you know um, games as we say age cutoff when does the cutoff happen you know you mentioned a 10 uh, 2010 game is different to a 13, 14 year old kids game in terms of managing the game and getting a result where what, at what age do you think that kind of transitions over to more of a result than the development is there a definite age is it dependent on other factors what do you think I don't know if there's a definite age uh, <clears throat> I would say that the game is 
becoming more competitive earlier and earlier. I agree. So it's getting to a point where nine-year-olds and the way the game is feels like they're 14. Mm-hmm. But in general, in our club, you know, as director, I don't come over and go, hey, did you win that game? I always ask, how, how did they play? What, and then what the result is, and, and we talk about it from there. But I do think it's important in the 11 v 11 game to teach how to game manage. You know, if you're playing a very good team, how do you manage that game to maybe nick a draw or nick a 1-0? You know, you can't play an attacking style. It's not realistic, mm-hmm. you know, and, and vice versa. So I, I just, the 11 v 11 game, I think it's important to teach the components of what the real game looks like in the older. But again, I'm not going to put an age on and youth getting the next win. Right. You know, the job isn't on the line for the next win. So uh, that's... I think what you just said then about the... <clears throat> when it gets older and you're the 11 v 11 ages, when it starts to look like the real game, that's when it come, becomes a little bit more important. So once they start, like we talked about last week, about the substitution rules and the actual game looking like the real professional game, mm-hmm. I think that's when it's important because that's the game that if you want to progress, that's the game you're going into. So and you, you say 11 v 11? I, w- I wrote 14 to 15 down earlier on when right. I was doing my notes. Um, because for players who have that ambition to go on and play at college or even play further, it does become more important to start w- to win games, you know, in college, to go and win a national championship. Right. You know, when you're playing pro, it's people's jobs, people's livelihood depend on it, you know. So I think as they get older, I think it does become more important. And, and like Carl said, it's how do you win the game? Maybe you have to park the bus like Carl's friend Mourinho likes to do yeah maybe it's it's a close game and you go out and you risk it a little bit you you switch to an attacking style to go and get that win mm-hmm. as opposed to sitting back and getting the draw I think when it starts to mimic the real game I think that's when it becomes more important but fully agree with Carl in the younger age groups all about development all about just getting better every week improving on things you know, cutting out mistakes and all those things. It's a lot more important when you're younger. You know, the, the development trumps the winning for me in the younger ages. Great. You, you know, stemming into last week, do you think, what's the percentage of coaches that you guys coach against that think the other way? 75-25 for me. So you're talking three quarters? Yep. I would say over 50%. That's me yeah. doing my math, you know, my, how good I am at math there, you know, yeah. just letting everyone good know Good to say, yeah, yeah, good numbers. O- yeah. Over 50%. Uh, it would probably be higher, but I think the coaches I coached against this weekend weren't too into it. Good. The the 2010 coach that we played this weekend, pretty positive, wasn't screaming, wasn't shouting. Didn't, we won the game 3-2. <clears throat> it was quite a close game, but he didn't seem too concerned that his team had lost the game, you know. He wasn't angry after the game. He was all smiles. He was, he was good with the girls. You know, like sometimes you, you come off the field and, you know, the coach can't look you in the eye. You know, because he's he's so annoyed that his team have lost. So I think this this weekend I had good experiences with the coaches I came up against. But there's 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 been many, and I would say over fifty percent. Yeah. That like they take it to heart. They want to win. You know, they want to go home, have a beer with the friends or the family, and you know, talk about how they've just won this game. Whatever, whatever, you know. Yeah, it's a very fine line, I think. So something we was mentioned earlier by you both was, and a question I want to pose to you guys is, how do we teach these kids to win? So where, how do you do that? I know, you know, it can be in an aggressive manner, it can be in a relaxed manner. What is the line and 
you know, how do we do that? How do we teach these kids effectively <clears throat> to win without pushing the boundaries too far or maybe being too relaxed? Uh, I think basically echoing what I said last week, it has to come from the player. And we've got to do that by making them competitive, like in your in your training sessions, any practices that you do. Make it competitive. Maybe there's like a little punishment for the losing team, just so it's competitive, it's intense. So obviously they're getting better, they're competing against each other in practice. And then obviously they start wanting to win. They start wanting and they have that winning mentality. Do you think if we, that if coaches keep putting competitions and things like that into practices, then the the kids get this stigma and this idea that results are more important than their development. Do you think that would happen? Or Again, it, it, it depends on how much emphasis you put on that right. one and losing in practice. Mm. You know, if it's just a small punishment, if you can get the kids in the habit of really not wanting to do that punishment, they want to go and win. It come, it comes from them and not from you. You know, it's. A, I think it's a fine line, right? Everything's a fine line, for sure. You know, you want the kids to be competitive. You want the kids to want to win. I think it has to come from them. It, it can't come from the coach. You know, it, it just, it can't. Like, we, the coach can't be on the sideline screaming and shouting and wanting the kids to get the result. But I think it's a fine line. It, it really is. Because you've got the other side of it where you focus on the playing style and doing everything right, and then you lose the game 3-0. And then after the game, the coach is saying, well, look, we played out of the back and our passing was better and this and that, but they lost the game 3-0. So what, what's right there, you know? So I think it's all a bit of a fine line of from the coach's end not putting the pressure on the kids to you have to win this next game. Right. Like, you have to win that. I think let's, let's work on the fundamentals and the development and the stuff we do in training. If we get it right... I think we'll be successful. If we get it wrong, then you know we'll reflect on that and, and get Go back ahead. out of the training field. Yeah, I think so. One, yeah. I can echo that as from a personal point. I think, and it goes back to I think we agree the age thing again, right? You know, two thousand nines this weekend didn't get the result, but the way they played and the thing they emphasised what they worked on in practice. As a coach, I was happy with that, and you know, moving forward, I think development over results for that. But on the flip side, you know. With the older age groups, as we've talked about, maybe your goals and your reflection after the game, if you didn't get the result, would be a little bit more tame because, you know, at that age in the 11 v 11 game, you want to get a result. So, well, look, you play, you play a sport for what reason? To win, right? To compete and win. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what you do. It's, so it should be automatically built in at all times. It, it's yeah. a lot more fun when you win. And that's something that I will, I'll say to my weekend, teams, right? I'll just say, you know, we we won the game yesterday with my tens. We lost the week before, and after the game, we talked about all the good things we did, a few little things we need to clean up for next time. And then I just said to them, "How much more fun was that today than than last week?" And they all agreed. Oh yeah, it was more fun. They won. They were buzzing. They'd won a game that was quite tight. They played well. They were all buzzing to win the game. You know. Do you think you know the parents who aren't educated in as educated in the game? You know, as I said, we are where we're from. I don't think they still understand the side of our game where park the bus and get a draw against a better team that is is a good thing. You know, I, I think it is everything out here is winning and losing. You either won or you lost. There's no in between or there's no being able to manage the game like, hey, 
your team didn't pass the ball as good as the other team but hey but actually we defended well and we hit them on a great counter attack and we were working on crossing that week and we we delivered a ball and the kids scored a header so that's our success you know I think it's very much it, it's hard because uh, I don't think the understanding of our game is as strong as all the other sports like baseball basketball right, lacrosse right. you know and that kind of thing so it's it's a hard one it's a hard one educating parents I think more than the kids yeah definitely I think it goes one step further and I think USA and their sports I think it's all about entertainment personally I think you know the parents on the sideline they want to be I know it's their kids and they obviously wish for the best and they want their kids to do well but I think they want also want to be entertained at every level and I think that leaks into the professional game you see all these fireworks and all these extra cricket activities that happen at the professional sports games and I think <laughs> you know the entertainment takes a uh, the pedestal over maybe the tactical knowledge of the game I think what we bring from a maybe a more European stance is the tactical knowledge and we want to manage the game as we've said numerous times and I think a lot of parents don't understand certain decisions that are made by coaches to manage a game and you know and to switch tactics and to do that in order to get the best result from the game but they just want to be entertained I think that's my well actually good point and I've got uh, this weekend watching I know I'm going into not even coaching here Premier League Liverpool and Tottenham NBC coverage right and before the game started they linked it to the the Hotspurs uh, Harry Key supporters club in New York or maybe I don't know where it was it was somewhere on the east coast right and the guy talking to me seemed like a US broadcaster that doesn't have any experience in the game and he's like you know Tottenham Liverpool both teams that like to attack you know exciting to watch mm. we know we're in for some great offense here you know and, and to me that was just that summed it up they, they were looking for a goal f- goal fest but if I'm a Tottenham fan I'm thinking we don't want to be conceding goals here against Liverpool you know the league goal difference I don't think people think like that so a 4-3 win is not what you're looking for no, no. they're looking for keeping a clean sheet at home and getting a result a nil-nil you know, might even be better than conceding five goals and winning a game six. I, I don't know, like, but I, I just, it's that mentality. They want to be entertained. It's all about attack. I don't think they understand the defensive side of our game. I don't think that's even, in youth coaching, and look, it's my background and my knowledge, and I would say my bread and butter is shape and seeing this and, and being able to do that with teams, but look at the amount of times you coach how much of the focus is off the ball instead of when your player has the ball definitely a centre back talking there (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think what you said that boils down to all the other American sports being if you think about it football is just one team attacks then the other team attacks basketball you don't ever see basketballers Parking the bus, if you will, you know what I mean. <laughs> it is just kind of end to end. That would be pretty funny. Though, yeah, right? You know what I mean. Five people, it's protecting the hoop. Yeah. And I guess it's just that's just the way it is. It's just a still still relatively new sport in America, you know. Yeah, definitely. It's still it's going to take a long time to to fully. But in America, flourish. they're winners, right? Oh, for sure. They want to win. Yeah. 
and this is what causes big disruption in the youth game. So just quickly then, why is it not, you say in America they want to win, why is, there, why is this attitude not translating to the professional game in America with the MLS and especially the national team who are somewhat struggling of late? Why is that not translating up there? Is it because uh, it hasn't come from the youth? Maybe they just can't win. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> they, they want to win. But they no, look, win. I, I, think that, I think the MLS teams want to win and I think the US team wants to win. I think there's levels to things and I don't think the US team are there right now, but they've got some great youth players coming through. So, uh, Sam Fairhurst. I think, uh, I think making that comment is a bit harsh, but I, I think teaching... Like I think the way the MLS is structured, does it teach winning and losing, or does it teach just grabbing certain points to a certain extent well, no, and then going into the playoffs? No like, promotion and relegation. Yeah, yeah. So that that that's a hard one. But I, I again, I think the culture here is, you win a game, in the youth side, everything's okay. Mm-hmm. Parents walk away high five and their kids, everything's okay. But. Like I said, we walk away from games when you've won going, we were poor. Yeah. We were poor. And if we can get that in our kid's head to set it, that expectation of, you know, seven, eight, nine, it's not about winning. We're looking at you doing the right things and how to do. I think that's where you'll create even better players to then they'll naturally at 12, 13, just want to win. And then they have the other side to being able to analyze the game and knowing you know, are we doing the right things or the wrong things? Right. So, fine line though between very being fine too line, harsh yeah. on if you win, you know, if you didn't get the most out of it, but still winning the game. So, just to wrap this one up, I think I'm gonna ask a simple question. You know, you can go into it. Is it development over results, or results over development? Just depends on the age again. <clears throat> the really young ones, like we've mentioned, development trumps results for sure. Up to what age? If you had to give, if you had to give one, if I had, if I had to give one right now, I just want a definitive answer for the listeners. You know, they might be a little bit. I would say fourteen and a half because I've got fourteen to fifteen written down. So, (laughs) I think at that age we should start. It it starts to come a little bit more even the development and the the result, and then as you get older, result just takes over that development a little bit year by year. If that makes sense. Uh, Well, if you've got aspirations to to progress in the game to go and play in college or to play pro, then it becomes more about results and it becomes more about winning. Yeah. If you think when you're you know, 14, 15 years old, if your team is successful, you're then going to get accepted to these showcase tournaments where you can be recruited by colleges a lot easier than you know, sending your, your videos in or contacting coaches. Mm-hmm. So that there's more at stake. You, know, you win certain tournaments, you are successful, you get put in these tournaments you give yourself a better chance to move on to the next level and so on and so forth if you're in college and you're playing for a top program and you're winning games you're winning your conference you're winning you know you're going to nationals you have more chance of being drafted into the MLS and then so on and so forth that's why I think it becomes a little bit more important as you progress okay so it's transition when you get older into oh sorry Carl your thoughts you want an age or just development over results or results over development I agree with Sam. The, the youngest age groups, of course, it's development. Uh, I think the key difference is from say seven till like we'll just go fourteen, seven to fourteen. I think as a coach, you're focusing on development 
of your team and individually as well. I think when you get to those age groups where we call it the real game or being close to the game, mm -hmm. you're actually focusing on the, the development of your group against another group to L get the more, result. A little bit more tactical. Yes, it? yes. So you're focusing on, hey, we're going, you know, we're playing a match against this team. This is how we play. So this is how we're going to play to be successful in this game. You know, when you're coaching eight, nine, and ten, you're not focusing on how, as much how that team plays. You're still trying to get some of the kids technically good and understanding the game. So I would say development over results. To be honest, me as a coach, I'm a big development in general over results. I don't, you know, I could lose all the games, but if my players are getting better and the, the team's progressing, I think people notice that and see that. You know, I think 16, 17, 18, you're becoming older, like Sam said, about college and whatever. It's, uh, you know, results become maybe a little more important, but um, I'm, I've always been developing over results. Not sure if the uh, San and San Board of Directors would be too happy if Carl Dixon was losing every game, but. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't happen, though. No. <laughs> <laughs> you should have seen how excited he was this weekend. <laughs> All right, so yeah, I think wrapping it up, I think we all agree that, you know, at the younger age groups, development has to take the forefront, you know, teaching the game. I think also with the transition, you know, they start 7v7, they then have to go into 9v9 and then into 11v11 eventually. So it's always a, it's a constant learning curve, right, of learning the different styles of games, the different, you know, managements of playing on the bigger fields and the tactical and positional senses. So I think we uh, wrap that on one pretty well. Anything else? Any finishing notes? No, we're all good with that? All right, let's move on to the next one. Appreciate it, guys. All right, rolling into part two of the podcast here. Going to touch on recapping the second weekend of the Fall League. Uh, just general notes on this, guys. How was the weekend? How were the games? So I, had, I had two. Two good games. Was a good weekend, all in all. Wasn't too taxing. Yeah, not bad. Carl? Yeah, good. Uh, same again. I had two games. I stepped in, covered a game for another coach, and then watched a couple of games. But it's been good. The league has spread out the schedule a little bit, where it's not two games Saturday, Sunday. So uh, I think it's been good so far. And yeah, some eventful games, uh, per usual. But all in all, pretty pretty relaxing what was the most eventful thing you saw this weekend let's go um, straight into it let's get the entertainment <laughs> the most eventful thing goal uh, six uh, uh, coach ref I'm sure there's a lot going on on the sidelines I would probably time. say for me you know it was Sunday evening I had a late game with my older group the game wasn't over until 7.45 and the coach of the other team, they were winning 2-0. We came back 2-2. Great game, super fun game to be part of. You know, 40 minute halves, 15 minutes at half time, so a long time. Both teams are tired. It's late on a Sunday night. Gotta go to school the next day. And the team that we played as well live about 45 minutes away, so they gotta travel. And the coach probably spent 20 to 30 minutes 
abusing his kids after the game. <laughs> like, literally, he, he, ref, he refused to kind of get off the bench to shake my players' hands, you know, in the old lineup. So he stood at the bench, and my players actually walked over to him to shake his hand. And then all I heard him shouting was, that's two weeks in a row, that's two weeks in a row. I don't know what he was going on about, but his team his team played well. It was a great match for both sides, but it's just deep down inside. I just look at that and just, I don't know, just shake my head, walk off and, uh, you know, I'm home in two minutes and he's still talking about two weeks, you know. The kids don't, don't want to be sat there for nah. 20 minutes. They'll be disappointed as well that they haven't won a game. Yeah. You know, just quick little chat with them and then just talk about it in practice, calm down a little bit, collect your thoughts. Any coach who's given 20-minute lectures after the game, I don't think has played the game or played sport because you, you, me as a player... When that has happened to me, switch off. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but it was two two. So that that was again that was eventful for me. I always have a chuckle about that at the end. I feel terrible for the other kids just sitting there, but it is what it is. So, uh, yeah. I definitely think there's better ways of handling that because it happened with me this weekend as well. We were down two zero, came back one three two. The O sevens, great sign of character. But the coach, honestly, the other coach. Was he handled it really well? He said, "Good game. That was fun to be a part of." We shook hands after. He had a quick chat with his team, and I kind of overheard him saying, "You know, we played some good stuff. We just had to hold on to the end." And I think he handled it really well. So there's definitely a, a better way of handling these kind of situations. Didn't you have a game where the coach didn't shake your hand? I did. Yeah, both <laughs> name names and and uh, clubs, but very unfortunate. You know, at the end of the day, it's a youth soccer game. Uh, emotions get high, but it shouldn't get high enough where. We're screaming abuse and not shaking hands, but you know. Why didn't you shake hands? Or sorry, I tried to. I, yeah, why I did he not shake hands with you? What's the? What's what was the crack? What's the details? Yeah, yeah. Come on. <laughs> I mean, it was a very it was a local game. Uh, one team was clearly better than the other. I will not say which one was which. <laughs> and uh, I think the overall uh, nature of the game was very competitive, very aggressive, physical game, and I think that spilled over to the sideline in terms of the coach getting way too involved in his emotions and you know I kind of should we say recommended him to quieten down and just settle down a little bit it's just 12 year olds going at it and he didn't take that too kindly and you know at the end of the day he proceeded not to shake our hands and stormed off he didn't shake the kids hands either I didn't really fancy it no which was wow. very disappointing I think he might have shaken two at the start he's, and he's given away in bridge very disappointing you know at the end of the day as I said it's it's kids you know start acting like one I did you know thought that was very disappointing but you know every coach is different right everybody coach coach handles it different you know I did actually this is a bit of a funny one this is a good event as well yeah 07 game keeper makes a save uh, two hands you know kind of hitting his stomach but it didn't hit his stomach it hit the other area and he go he goes down. He goes yeah, he goes down. But what happened was and this was uh it was the highest level 07 game, pretty competitive match, but he he catches it, goes down, and what happens is not only does his own team parents chuckle, but both sets of kids are having a laugh and then he stands up 
and he's laughing too. <laughs> well, giving himself a bit of a rub down. No, right no, I, I just thought that was a really nice moment again, <laughs> where, where everybody just put it as it's just kids and little yeah, things yeah. happen, and I thought that was quite funny. Well, <laughs> I don't think there's many bigger celebrations in youth club soccer when a goalkeeper makes a save, is there? <laughs> oh, goodness <laughs> me. Should we get on to that? Or, Sam, do you see any big saves this weekend and the crowd just go wild about it? Or? Um... Maybe a little bit harder with the younger guys. Or yeah, maybe. I had a couple of moments where my goalkeepers were glued to the goalie line in the two tens game. Just the fear of coming off the dreaded white line. Yeah, yeah, just uh, getting to learn that position and not really sweep a keeper. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, no, no, no big saves in my games this weekend, unfortunately. Oh, sounds like you had a pretty uh, boring weekend. It so was I'm... a little bit tame, to be honest. It was, yeah? it was, two games that I can't even give the referee any abuse. Can't really give the other coaches any abuse. It was it was a really late. Usually back. we try not to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, what I mean. That, that's just a family a, club. That's, yeah. just, that's just a sign. We that don't endorse referees abuse. Referees were good. Other coaches were good. Yeah. It was. Uh, I mean, the only issue I could probably have was uh, maybe we could get a bit of grass seed on the the field that I played on on Saturday. Well, is that not your job? Well, <laughs> <laughs> that was your nineteenth job in the pub. <laughs> I was a little bit busy Friday night this weekend. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> I didn't get round to extra it. <laughs> again. I do. I do think it's funny though. Like any time out here, where the keeper just does a little scoop off the floor, he gets an outstanding ovation. <laughs> like I, I honestly, I think I wish I was a keeper <laughs> just to get that clap. Just like, to get it. Honestly, any time the keepers do anything out here, and then your uh, your midfielder plays a worldy pass. <laughs> And not a clap, no. not nothing. He gets nothing. Sprays it sixty but, but yards. But tell you what, the keeper, the ball rolls to him, and he just scoops it up. Fan, I, I, I've even seen keepers out here now waving at the fans. <laughs> They're so used to the ovation. Shaking hands, kissing babies. Uh, I don't know what is it, but hey, it is a funny, interesting part of the game out here. The, the whole goalkeeper thing. You know, like look at the goalkeepers that America have had that have went on to play you know in the Premier League Tim and stuff Howard, like that Brand yeah Riddle, they, they, Keller. they love it they, they love it Guzan, Brad Guzan, you know, yeah. but it's like uh, fair enough the keeper comes out one on one great save like uh, brilliant I'm clapping that right. top corner save but everybody when the ball bounces to your keeper stop clapping <laughs> it's not, like there's no need there's no... so you're not a fan of the 20 yard P roller and then just a little scoop it up yeah it's, it's not his testimonial no. he doesn't yeah. need uh, doesn't deserve a round of applause no no oh. alright fair enough fair enough alright what about I think there's a lot of uh, discussion on the sidelines about just how much contact should be in this contact sport you know we see big tackles flying in every week some slides some shoulder barges I think there's a very fine line with you know, remembering this is a contact sport, but at the same time, you know, the age of the game, the, not, the culture of the game, the nature of the game, the referee's experience in the game, you know. What do you think about that? Obviously, coming from Europe, we come from more, probably, I, I would agree, a more physical nature and physical game, and we endorse that a little bit more than maybe over here, but what do you guys think? Any experiences or any uh, feedback on that? You want you want our experiences in contact <laughs> with you? I don't think we want to hear Carl's experiences in the suburbs of Ireland, no, but... Uh, that could get a little bit rough, but what about from a coaching perspective? What do you? What's your thoughts on it, or anything you saw this weekend? I'm I'm all for the the kids being aggressive, even from the the early ages when they when they start out. Um, obviously, there's a fine line between that aggression and then it becoming 
you know, over-aggressive. I don't want to see anyone getting hurt, mm-hmm. but I don't think there's any issues with, you know, two kids competing for the ball. If one gets, you know, accidentally knocked over, he can just, he or she, just jump back up, go again. It's not a big deal. I think parents get a little bit out of control. And we said it last week, you know, we don't have kids, so you don't know what it's like to see your kid get knocked over on a soccer field. And obviously, it might get to you a little bit, but... You know, there's no harm in it as long as it's nothing, not a dangerous tackle or no one's going in, you know, with elbows or, you know, this kind of thing. Yeah, I don't see a problem with it. I think it's it's great for the game. Yeah. It toughens the kids up, makes the games much more exciting, you know. Yeah, it's all about entertainment, right? Oh, of course it is. <sighs> Gladiator sport. <laughs> I think it's, it's What's brilliant. that TV show over here? American Ninja Warriors. <laughs> it, it is brilliant that I think what keeps coming up is we're not parents, so we don't understand like what we should, it's we should come back and do this do the whole yeah. the same topic yeah parents. but my parents yeah because i watched i actually watched uh an interview recently uh beckham was on the graham norton show yeah. and his daughter was playing and they were they were saying like what's it like being a soccer dad and then obviously uh his boys don't play anymore and he was talking about his daughter was, I don't know, she was dribbling or something and the other, the other player knocked her over and he said he kind of winced out of his seat like, hold on here, like, is anyone going to do anything about that? And, and, and do, I think that's a good point. Like, we as coaches who don't have kids and we're hearing the WWF reaction from the crowd when someone does a slide tackle, <laughs> you know, and, and I get it. But uh, look, you don't have to ask what I like to see as a player Irish as center I back. Yeah. and uh, I, I like I like an aggressive game and I think for our area you know it's typically you know an affluent area nice kids you know I, I think they need it I think you need that you need that side of you to teach you you know that kind of think for yourself yeah, yeah. But, you know the game's not it isn't soft when you get oh it is it's not a soft game and you know it's okay like I even said like I'll have a parent come over to me after the game going God, like they were pushing us and I'm like <laughs> we just gotta push them back like I, you know I don't really know yeah you know at the end of the day we grew up playing you know in patches of grass and playgrounds where if you got booted do you ever play foul in football Pri- prison rules? Yeah, just be a free for all and basically oh, yeah, no, like, well, look, any rules. Any yeah. game we played, there, there wasn't <laughs> every Saturday. Was there any rules anyways? Like there was no one giving free no. kicks when you got two footed in the back. Nah. Like literally. <laughs> so it's just like the, unfortunately the kids don't have that out here as much. But I think it's a it's a contact sport and being able to use your arms and your shoulders yeah. and your hips and slight tackling there's a, there's a skill to all there's, 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 there's definitely there's, an art yeah. to using your body and being able to protect the ball and you know what I yeah. tend to do with all my teams when I take over I send them one video Roy Keane Alfie and <laughs> I just say that's how you play the game <laughs> <laughs> so that's why the 2010s have been <laughs> I've had two men sent off every match so what do you think about so from an experience of mine what do you think of parents yelling at kids in the game when something of a physical nature happens for example one of my 07s made a great sliding tackle all ball no player and one of the parents proceeded to say hey you can't do that you little b what do you think about that 
Well, I think it's a disgrace that's that someone's it. shouting that. But <laughs> right. I think, look, in that instance, it's you as a coach. You focus on your player. You zone in. You give them the eyes and you just let them know, look, you did the right thing. Don't worry about it. Don't care what anyone says. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it, that, that's a coaching point. From the other side, that's the disgraceful thing that we get. You know, one slight tackle. And I've seen granddads asking for a straight red in, <laughs> in a seven-year-old game and it's you know that's embarrassing that's so. a common argument every week this whole yellow card and red card thing right yeah i, I think that's a very american thing right i rules, think we hear rules, it a lot rules. more over here than we do in england you know hey where's that yellow card reviews it i don't think i think it's very popular over here you know yeah i, I think the referees in the youth game out here just need to just coach the kids too and just common give them sense. warnings like there is like when the kids get older there will be moments where they they fall on purpose yeah. and fair enough you know that's starting to get the real game but common sense coach the kids yeah. you know what I mean just just shouting yeah. and abusing for straight <laughs> reds <laughs> uh, get him out of here yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's like a professional <laughs> like, foul honestly shouting to say that a seven year old meant to foul yeah. someone I think that's very harsh and especially when we're a club based in the area that we are there's none of our kids that are going out looking to gun for another kid yeah. it just isn't I've, I've seen I've seen coaches in, in youth games ask for yellow and red cards yeah for happens, like, tackles happens. and whatever I think that's a little bit embarrassing as well that's always embarrassing yeah, I had an argument with the coach about that myself yeah yeah that, that for sure is embarrassing but it's an I do think it's an Americanism uh, rule, rules orientated rule book, rule you know, book, rule book. And, and look you go back to the coverage of the World Cup this year there was more coverage on referees oh, the referee and watch wasn't there yeah, yeah. no what was it called the referee like uh, the doctor Dr. Joe Dr. Joe, Dr. Joe yeah. talking about the rules of the game when you know BBC back home had three ex-pros who've played in the World Cup analysing the game and they're not going on about well what's the rule of the game there you know like like anything the rules can be stretched Especially in our game. Do you think it's going, it's going, if anything, now it's going down the opposite route now with VAR and 25 assistant referees on the sidelines with magic wands? You know, I think. <laughs> I'll take two assistants in my game. <laughs> yeah. oh, we're, not blessed, we're not blessed with this over here in America, <laughs> the, um, the VAR systems and even an assistant referee. But I think there is definitely a, a movement towards, you know, really locking let, down. Let me ask you this. You, you class yourself as a good coach, right? and you've coached against a good coach, and the two teams are playing the right way, I guarantee you, in that moment, you didn't even need a ref. No. Yeah. On the youth side I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. See, when you're playing against, you know, and I'll, I'll give the, I'm gonna give, I've mentioned Roy Keane already, so I'm gonna say a Roy Keane word. When you're playing against a clown, with the clown sideline, yeah. Yeah. unfortunately you need the ref. And that's where then the ref usually panics Benny Hill begins, the, the theme song starts and next minute all, you know, it's, it's crazy all over the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it's, it's just one of those things. But it's back to it, contact sport, every age group. I like it, especially on the girls' side. You know, I, I think it's really harsh. I think it's really harsh on the girls' side. Like one girl uses her shoulder and next minute the ref gives a free kick and most of the time it's, the taller, bigger girl that's, who that's just kind of runs into the little girl, you know? I, I think maybe not so much the bigger kids all the time, but the kids who are better at it at a younger age get penalised for being good at it. 
because the referees give these free kicks when a kid's used the shoulder or the hip, done a really good job of shielding the ball. Maybe it happens to be a smaller kid or a kid who doesn't know what they're doing in that respect. Free kick every time. Yeah. Just because the kid's falling on the floor. When they're not, like, <clears throat> that other kid has done something really well and he's being punished for it. So do you guys coach it? Coach. Do you coach physical play and how to protect how to protect the ball with your body, how to use your body in the right way? Is it something that you guys will touch on in practice? I think and... you've got to coach how to like shield the ball and use your body. Yeah. You know, I don't don't particularly coach going in smashing people and, of course. You know, <laughs> I I encourage, I encourage yeah. every team I coach to be aggressive and I always say if we can be more aggressive than them, it puts us in a in a good position from the start. Yeah. Yeah, but look, and you can, there's moments where you can teach kids, you know, a winger, for an example, you know, trying to get past the defender, being able to use his arm in some sense to push off, you know, you can give advice and teach there. I think it all comes down to the setting in the training session. You know, we talked about setting it and making it competitive, right? So you're doing a 1v1, for an example, and the, the kid gets beat, kid slide tackles, he wins the ball from behind. You know, there's none of us stopping it, going challenge from behind, right. you know, and giving out yellow cards. So we, we set that tone in practice to, you know, that, that that's how you're going to tackle, that's how it's going to work. So uh, I think, yeah, there's like, we, we, there's no session where, like Sam said, we're, we're doing slight tackling or you're teaching how to foul people, but you, you can teach, it's a contact sport, like you said, shielding the ball is important as a defender from behind as a ball gets played into a player's feet giving him a little touch whether it's your just your chest on his back that there are little parts of the game that i don't think people understand now i think out here what they can relate to is basketball basketball yeah. is classed as what like a non-contact sport but it's very contact you know it really is so if that's being implemented there and then we are actually a contact sport, people should know that things are going to happen. So, so like a little tickle at a corner kicks, okay? Yeah. Tickle. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen that's it. You, you Southerners like a tickle. <laughs> <laughs> a little cuddle on the corner kick. So no, there's, no, there's, no ex, there's no experts in here with the two hand push then. Nobody's coaching that then, no? No. no. All right, moving on. What about <laughs> field size, quality? You know, over the full league, we see all shapes and shites. All should I say? Sure. Easy, for me, easy, that for, one out. easy for me to say. All shapes and sizes. Seven v seven, nine v nine, eleven v eleven, and all you know quality. You know, you might be playing on the Wembley turf over in Manhattan Beach. You know, no favouritism there. Or you might be out in the valley. You know, with the sand. Any? No, the dreaded hill. Oh, the dreaded hill from I, uh, I where is that to, again? I have to go back to Thousand Oaks to the Thousand hill Oaks. Thousand Oaks. So yeah, any any. Um, Anything on that? I mean, we, we spoke about it. It just like growing up, you show up to the field, you don't know what you're going to get. You showed up to a field, like yeah. where cows and all right? Sometimes. That's that farming background in Wiggins. That's the Wiggins. <laughs> Whatever they can put a set of goals, you know. And you, you know, it's not. The, there were certain pitches where you knew if you were playing that team, you knew that they had like a good, good pitch and you were like, you were buzzing for it. Yeah. A lot of the time, you showed up, you didn't know if it was going to be a hill. If the grass had been cut that month, you know, it was just kind of show up, get on with it, and I'm sure you heard this. It's a why shame. are you saying it, at it's, me? It's but, uh, why did you look at me and not Dan growing up in the Chelsea Because he probably area. played on like indoor pitches. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. If it rained, they cancelled the games. Yeah. You know, if it, hey. tro- 
if it dropped down past where like don't hate a player hate the game you couldn't you couldn't wear a t-shirt on the sideline the parents just cancelled that's a academy background but the the old cliche it's the same for both teams you know what I mean yeah I love that yeah, one you, you coach oh, would come love no excuses one. same for both Sam teams Ferguson and that's what you've got to go with I mean Bruce, it is Bruce. it is it is frustrating <laughs> when, you, when you show up to a field and it's not what you hope a but pitch pitch field this is America <laughs> no hey Sam said it when we were talking about this earlier Sam said it we used to play on some pitches where strategically you would have to adapt the game you know centre midfield usually there was a bog literally you'd try to run through it your foot your, your, your boot would pull off your foot so it would be hey let's get it out wide Let's hit the channels. Hit the uh, halfbacks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that was when you were playing rugby. <laughs> Wrong sport. Another Wigan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wigan Warriors, by the way. <laughs> Sam is a big fan. But no, uh, look, me as a coach, honestly, when I turn up to pitches and I see goals, whether they're small, big, uh, netting on, honestly, most of the time I don't really care. What does bother me sometimes is when you're going to tournaments and you're paying big money yeah. and then you turn up and, and it's not, the, the facilities are quite poor. That, that's quite annoying, but I'm certainly not a coach that focuses on it, complains about it, but it's, it's interesting. Like, you know, Dorsey Field where we are, the surface is poor, but if anybody knows Manhattan Beach, the area where that, uh, pitches on it's probably cost four million dollars or something so land is not there's no areas where we can build 20 20 pitches so we just got to run with it and most of our coaches accept it but then visiting coaches will be like yeah. oh my goodness this this field it's this that and the other and it's just like why instead of focus on that why not talk to your kids about how you might have to adjust your game you know the, the ball might bobble, so maybe you have to adapt and play quicker. Maybe you can't play out of the back all the time, but maybe you can sometimes. And if mistakes happen, it is what it is. It changes a different game. That, that's why the, the focus is always on the negative side instead of counteract that, figure it out. Be optimistic. Yeah, figure it out. There is another cliche that I've got on that one. Oh, here, <laughs> we, here we go. <laughs> what, do you ever hear the one, good players can play on anything? Exactly. I've heard that one a lot, actually, yeah. yeah. Been told that a lot. You were the one morning, were you? Yeah. I'll be honest. <laughs> I can't play on this. I'll be honest. You know, it does frustrate me when I head over to the to turf fields or grass fields. More likely, they're not great. You know, it takes away from my tiki taka style of coaching. Oh, so, you have a but, Spanish background, then? Yeah, yeah. I've got a uh, third uncle that's uh, ten percent Spanish. So yeah. But all right, just finishing up this one. Any uh, any funny stories about anything from the fall league this week? Just to kind of round things up on a funny happy note like I told you my fall league was quite it was quite relaxed this weekend there was no major issues or incidents alright so nothing from San he got all his energy out on the uh, nine minute story from last week Carl anything no n- nothing to, you know I think I said the one where the kid caught the ball I thought that was quite funny just it was an enlightening part of working with youth uh, I do want to highlight I'm going to highlight one of our coaches this weekend, his team was playing in another team. 
the other team were, were not as good, unfortunately. I don't know why they were in that level. Are we going to say the coach's name? Or? Nah, nah, we'll keep that out of it. I don't want to. Don't want to. <sighs> nah, the don't fan... want to make him feel that good about himself. Well, but... the fans are texting in saying they want the name. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> the game started and our coach went a couple of goals up very quickly, mm-hmm. and he recognised that this is not going to be what he thought it was going to be in terms of competitive. Mm-hmm. So we put limitations on the game. Yeah, you know, kids had to use their left foot, pass the ball. Great development. You yeah. know, and it and he changed all the positions and just you know kept it that way. He talked about it at halftime, and kids were like, "I want to score another goal," and he was like, "No, no, no." And I just thought that was a brilliant moment for our coaching staff in the fall league. I think the game ended like seven to two. You know, unfortunately, when a kid's in the eighteen and he wants to shoot, it's hard to tell him not to. Right. But the other team got a couple of chances to score goals because we were playing all with our weak foot passing in the back and I just thought that was a great moment for the club letting people know that you know we've got educated coaches trying to develop not only their team but also help out the other team but, yeah. you know shame on the other club putting that team into that flight but I only we only the poli- the we only run club, our club right? maybe, politics of club soccer. Maybe it was the pitch, and that team just can't play on that pitch, you know. That, yeah, maybe. <laughs> it was. It was actually the surface was probably better than Old Trafford. <laughs> yeah, that's not on. Uh, just to finish it off for me, have you ever heard of this one? Uh, this weekend, doing a warm up with one of my teams, and a very hot day in the valley, um, and uh, we're we're warming up in our traditional red of sand and surf. Uh, for those of you who don't know, our home kits are red and our away kits are typically white. So we're warming Very up. similar to a professional team. Yeah, and the one that won't be spoken of. Uh, Late in Orient, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, but anyway, so we're warming up in our red. Uh, yeah. And uh, about 10 minutes before kickoff, I have a parent approach me and say, uh, Coach, the parents have been talking on the side and uh, we were wondering if there was any way that we could play in our white jersey today due to the heat. What do you, <laughs> what do you think about that? They wanted to change the colour of our jersey, maybe because it was a little bit hot, and they think the white jersey would have uh, helped us out. I mean, a lot more. Maybe, it's, maybe it's, it's cooler made to wear white, but I don't think it makes a big. Do you mean cooler in terms of style? Style, or, or? Uh, I mean in terms of uh, not attracting the heat and blah blah blah. Whether it makes too big of a difference. I mean, I'll be honest. I was, I was extremely shocked. Again, it's like the the pitches and the goal. It's focusing on the wrong things. Like the other teams warming up. What are they wearing? Dark blue, dark grey, black. I I don't know. It's just like, move, sit down, relax, let the kids figure it out. Yeah. You know what I mean? I wish we had the luxury of tra- changing our kit when we were seven and eight years old. We were lucky to even get I uh, get a kit that fit you. Yeah. I don't think I ever had a kit that fit when I was younger. Massive. Speak, I always say the, the good thing about our kits though were we had long sleeves. I always like to roll up those sleeves, though. Get and just get on with the game, right? Roll, exactly. roll your sleeves yeah, up. And get on up I was rolling up his sleeves, and it was minus four <laughs> in the winter. Yeah, rather you than me. Well, it's a southerner again, isn't it? Hey, he's gonna hate. All right, guys. Hey, he's gonna hate. All right, moving on. Get over to part three. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. <laughs> Swiftly moving on to part three of the podcast and our final segment of today's episode, Premier League review. 
the greatest league in the world. Just a quick one for you. All the top teams won. Usual business for them. Man City, the Chelsea's, Liverpool's, Arsenal's. Man United's. We'll throw that in there for you, Carl. They all grabbed the three points this weekend. Whilst the upcoming clubs, Fulham, Cardiff City, struggled. Huddersfield's. All failed to get any points from their games this weekend. Good results across the board for other teams such as West Ham. Picking up a 3-1 win against a good Everson team. And also Bournemouth smashing up the Leicester City 4-2, which is maybe the shock of the weekend. Uh, let's get straight into it. Just a bit of a recap. Maybe, Carl, you want to chat a bit, little quickly about Man United, what you saw from that game, being a fan? I was very happy. Uh, you know... I think the setup of the team was strong. I think we started the game off well. Uh, it was good to get that lead going into half time. To be fair to Watford, uh, they could have probably nicked the draw close to the end of the game. They put us under the cosh. De Gea had to come out with a couple of decent saves like he does. But uh, yeah, um, great. it was a good game to watch. I enjoyed it, Mourinho, they clearly worked on set pieces and getting one of the goals from there, you've seen him celebrating with his assistants, so you know, all in all, a good result against a team that's doing well. Do you want to talk about the, the main man, the big Marouane Fellaini, the legend at Old Trafford, and how he's changed... <laughs> the whole look of Man United pretty much on his own nah look here's the point United wanted to sign a centre back to put more stability there right and it also was I think to help score a few more goals you know coming up for corners and whatnot. I think United now are going to set up with Fellaini and Matic to protect you know the back four but he's also going to give you stuff going forward when you need it so I think he's a bit of an un unsung hero at times, to be honest. And there's a bit of a elitist culture with United uh, and even the Premier League on how they look at Fellaini. And I think one of the reasons around that was when Moyes signed him, you know, after the Ferguson era, it was like, you know, the money we paid for him was big and it wasn't the typical kind of United signing of you know, a big name superstar coming in. And there's all there's there's been this arrogance about it. Been a long him. time since that, right? <laughs> yeah. There's been there's been this arrogance about him and the player he is. And and he's effective. And look, yeah. managers like Van Al and Mourinho have both kept him in the squad. And and Mourinho's you know, so I think people need to get over that. I thought again it was a good result and it is what it is. Unlucky Watford. You know? <laughs> Thanks for coming. <laughs> uh, I'll just quickly touch on Chelsea. Good 4-1 win for us against Cardiff City, the new boys from Wales. Uh, we went actually 1-0 down from a set piece, which was pretty much predictable, I think, from a Neil Warnock side. Uh, but eventually, Sarri ball kicked in. Um, we'll get into the, the main man later, because I want to bring that back from uh, last week's podcast, if you listened to that one. But yeah, good win for the Blues. Top of the table now above Liverpool on goal difference, which is good for us, and rightfully back where we belong on the top of the, uh, the top of the league. What about the Tottenham Liverpool match? Yeah, we might as well skip over Sam's teams, right? Being in the um, pub leagues. Conceded a 90th minute equaliser against Villa. 
finish 1-1. Aston Villa, for those of you who don't know who we're talking about. Bradley Dack scored again. I think we'll be talking about him pretty soon in the Premier League. Yeah, for Blackburn. For Blackburn, yeah. Blackburn yeah. Rovers. I'm not, I'm not sure who can afford him, to be honest, in the Premier League. Uh, yeah, I don't think City have got the money, have they, man? No, maybe not. Maybe no. not. What about Wigan? Don't know. Don't support Wigan. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Wigan Warriors. I think Wigan. Yeah. I think Wigan lost to be honest when I scanned it. Okay. Which always nice. All right. Fair enough. So going back to Chelsea though. Let's hope that that uh, that goal that you conceded against lowly Cardiff doesn't cost you the uh, what would it be? Probably challenging for Europa League, won't you? So let's let's hope that we don't fall out of that Europa League spot on that yeah, goal. Eh? No, it's mad. We've got to finish in the top eight this year for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a disaster if we don't make it. You know. We are on course to win the Europa League this year already, having played zero games. <laughs> so, but, you know, I think we're looking good. I think Sarri will... Guys, we've got to be honest here. It's good to watch. Right, let's just get it out of the way. Come on, let's talk about Hazard. Go on. What, so, have, you, what have you got for us? For our loyal customers, listeners, as we call you, parents, we talked about players last week, the players we, to watch in the Premier League. You talked about we, them last we, week. As a, as a group, we discussed who our players were to watch this year in the Premier League, and I was somewhat ridiculed for my choice of Eden Hazard um, not sure if I need to go <laughs> no, 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 not no. sure if let's I need to get it right let's get it right yeah it wasn't that it was we were just talking about up and coming players and Hazard is not an up and coming <laughs> player he's already well defined himself and he's a fantastic player so look it is what it is. Let's move on. Liverpool, Tottenham. Ah, uh, doesn't <laughs> want to talk watched, about it. If you watched it, let's let's hear it. Just real it quick, guys. Match. Just before we get on to that, Hazard did score a hat trick, and he did solidify himself as the best player in the Premier League. Um, <laughs> if you want to see a decent individual performance, kids out there, type in Eden Hazard hat trick against Cardiff City, and you'll see it. Swiftly moving on to Liverpool and Spurs. The early kickoff on Saturday morning for us over here in America. Um, Carl was an avid watcher of this and watched the game and analysed it very well so he wants to talk about it I'm not sure why because he doesn't support either team and Liverpool are his direct rivals and I definitely don't want to talk about Tottenham but Carl you know any thoughts feelings I don't like to talk about Liverpool either but we're going to do it Uh, a a 2-1 scoreline was not reflective of the match at all Mm. in, in my opinion it made the game look a lot closer than what it was for people who didn't watch the game Liverpool dominated the game mm. you know Tottenham struggled to get in their half they struggled so much to get in their half that all they did was play, try to play balls in behind you know and unfortunately we all know we play centre back now for Liverpool Joe Gomez and <laughs> Virgil van Dijk yeah he's just 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 absolute monster, monster. bossed it monster. you know Harry Kane as good as he is in the air or trying to it, it just it just didn't work and Liverpool were just they were so dangerous and they're so solid as well in the middle and in the back now so yeah, yeah interesting Tottenham there's all this talk at the moment right about them being Fatigued and not having a squad. Well, Harry Kane, especially, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's just uh, Liverpool just were the better team, and Tottenham struggled to find a footing in the game. For me, uh, it, it it could have been more. I was hoping it would be more, and I do remember me actually too. last week mentioning Joe Gomez as someone to watch for. Yeah, really yeah, Liverpool yeah. Ju- just looked, they just looked confident and great, great structure. 
about it. The regular challenge. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, Tottenham, Tottenham were playing out of the back, just couldn't get anything going, you know. So, uh, Pochettino, he was happy after the game though. He says he's liking what he sees, but no, wasn't good enough. Liverpool challenging City for the title this year for sure. Liverpool looks strong. Yeah. Uh, it's it's interesting, and to be honest, uh, Salah didn't do much. One he, season wonder. He, he wasn't <laughs> no, but if he wasn't in that game, they you can see much. how how strong their squad is. You know, yeah. uh, Samir was talking about we were talking about transfers of the season, and Sam was talking about someone, and he didn't even get on the pitch. I think Liverpool as well from this time last year have strengthened the areas that were weak at by signing Van Dijk they've signed Alisson did he, did he say where we where we were weak at no, no I don't think so weak at, but, oh, okay. but yeah so sure I mean they've, 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 they've always had that firepower going forwards what? and if they're you know they're going out they spent what 75 million on Van Dijk and then a ridiculous amount of money on a goalkeeper but they kind of identified the areas they were weak in mm. Obviously, a big Joe Gomez is going to step into that back four as well. Who knows? We could be talking about Liverpool running away with it. The uh, you look at their their bench now, and it's it's a strong bench as well. And I think that was the difference. But I think the keeper and the back line now, it they just look tough all over. They really do. So and Tottenham finishing and Fabi- Fabinho didn't even not even touching the yeah big signing from Monaco in the French league, not even touching the field. Yeah, so. Tottenham in the top four this year. What do you think, Jens? I think their their squad's good enough. I I'll be very interested to see the winter period for Tottenham. Not as much, not as much of a powerful squad as other teams. Maybe yeah, not I, as easily to yeah, rotate. I, I think if you're already, you know, I get it. The World Cup, no you signing. know, we've seen it at City, but if we're already talking about players being fatigued and whatnot, the winter period in the Premier League is it's horrific. So I'm interested to see that. But at the moment, Liverpool. They're firing, obviously, City, you know, Chelsea, United got that result, so <laughs> we're, we're climbing, we're climbing, but no, I was, I was, I was impressed by, by Liverpool and, uh, yeah. Played at Wembley as well, Tottenham still haven't moved into their new stadium, so playing at the National Stadium in England, on, you know. Aren't they about, supposed to play their first game against Chelsea yeah, at the new not, stadium? Yeah, it doesn't look like it's going to happen, T- typical Tottenham, bottling it, you know. Not getting it done, getting over I the line as always. I think they just want to play with Chelsea's head, to be honest. Well, last time we played Tottenham at Wembley, when they, their first game at Wembley, we uh, dispatched them with a Marcus Alonso winner. So, yeah, look forward to that for sure. But anyway, moving on, don't want to talk about the best team in the Premier League, Chelsea, too much. But So what do we think about the upcoming teams? So the teams that have been promoted this year, the Fulham, what, what, Fulham Wolves and Cardiff City. Uh, Fulham and... Well, uh, Fulham and Cardiff were lost to Manchester City and Chelsea respectively this weekend arguably two of the top three teams in the league right now so no harm done there no shame but Wolves looking good right picking up wins and playing good football yeah I think Wolves, Wolves will be alright in terms of staying in the Premier League got some good exciting players they seem like they're playing the right way yeah the coach coach loves it as yeah. well Portuguese like, coach contingency loves the challenge yeah. Santo yeah. Uh, they, they're sticking to their game plan and what they did in the yeah. championship I think you know Yesterday you seen obviously they only won one nil but it could have been six in my opinion. Yeah. So they're exciting to watch. Uh he's a, a prodigy of Mr. Jose Mourinho, isn't he? The Wolves manager. Yeah. Portuguese, yeah. 
So a lot of Portuguese players over there as well, right? Is that a thing that we? What do we think about this? You know, I think a lot of coaches out there have preferences of players. You know, I think Guardiola has had has always had Spanish players in his squad, and then it's an obvious Portuguese contingency over there at Wolves. So what do you? Is that is that actually a thing? You know, do coaches and managers out there in the professional game look for certain countries? I know, I know and it can be very vague, but do you think it's a thing? Yeah, I think so. I'm sure he's got a he's got a knowledge of the Portuguese league from playing in it. <clears throat> With him being Portuguese himself, he he knows the level of the players and the teams. Obviously, he trusts those players. Mm. Maybe it's easier for him to have them personal relationships with them being Portuguese and you know coming from the same culture and all that sort of stuff. I think you just have to be mindful in the Premier League that you don't go too much into one nationality. If that makes sense, yeah. I think you still need. I think we talked about it last week. You still need some English blood in there who know the league who've grown up in the system uh, but I don't see an issue with it it's obviously working for them yeah. I'd just be wary of going too Portuguese yeah and don't forget they do have a an interesting nationality in there Irish player anybody know who he is guys? come on who is Matt it? Doherty oh. but look again, I, I, I agree with Sam you got to have a bit of British bite in your team. You do. So I think uh, I think he's got he's got a nice little fit right now. So again, we'll see how the season goes. But Transition. I think the other teams, Cardiff, they're going to struggle. Cardiff yeah. are going to struggle. I think Warnock is that old school manager, knows how to keep a team up in the Premier League when he comes into <clears> a club. I think he... You know, he can work to get promotion in the championship because it's a different game. There's not an, not as much money in it to sign, you know, overseas players and whatnot, but I, I just think they're going to struggle, unfortunately. Right. That's my thought on them. Swiftly transitioning over to, we've talked a lot, we've mentioned there about British players, arguably the most British club in the Premier League, West Ham. Picked up a win finally this week, 3 1 win against. Everton, who who both these teams spent a lot of money in the transfer market. We've talked previous a little bit last week about well, the money in the flying, game. They? they were, yeah, they've made some big signings, good players. But West Ham, you know, how many games did they draw going into that game? Was it two? Two, I believe. Two, yeah, three, but yeah. they were unbeaten. Yeah, they were unbeaten. West Ham were actually laying bottom of the table, twentieth place with no wins. New new gaffer Manuel Pellegrini trying to bring in a new style there, some new players. But they picked up the win. Was it the was it at Everton or West Ham? Do we know? Maybe at the London Stadium, the Olympic. Uh, I'm not sure. Not sure, but yeah, you know, like I said, probably the most highly represented club of English players, the most British club you could say. Um, we do have a few West Ham supporters in our club, coaches and parents. I'm not sure how influenced that is by a certain Stephen Merriweather, <laughs> but you know they look good this weekend, right? Talking about the British side of the game. Uh, look, the the, play, the players they bought and the style they're trying to play, it kind of came together oh. at the weekend. But over the course of time, I'm not sure how that's going to work. I'm not sure how that, how it's going to work for that manager. Right. You know, we I think did we talk about it last week or was this offline? You know, he he's not managing Man City. Yeah, well, for now it's off so off the podcast. It's, but yeah, it's uh, a big change. Yeah, no. Uh, all right. Good to see them get a result, but I think they're going to be down there. You know, kind of disappointed to see Burnley 
doing as oh, as poor as they're doing. Burnley could not be in a better position for me. Perfect position, bottom of the table. <laughs> they're in the championship next year after they get relegated. Blackburn get promoted. Thanks, thanks for coming. <laughs> hope, hope you enjoyed your time in the Premier League. They're in Europe this year as well. They got knocked out pretty quickly too, right? Worst thing that could have happened to them. Fall of grace for the Burnley. Worst thing, getting a little bit ahead of the station. Other things to concentrate on. Worst thing that could have happened to Burnley getting in Europe. Great to see a small club, even though I don't like them. Great to see a small club doing well in the Premier League, but worst thing that could happen. <laughs> and it couldn't have happened to a nicer club and a nicer set of supporters. So your comparisons to Sean Dyche, you're not a fan of them then, no? Um, I think Sean Dyche, Sean Dyche has done a great job. You're looking like that, eh? Just yeah. like, do his voice again. You what is it? You? Sean Dyche. <laughs> hey, not bad. He's a not really bad. proud man. <laughs> not bad, not bad. Yeah, he's done a great job. Um, hopefully, like the Burnley owners, don't get carried away. And, you know, if they, they're obviously not going to have as, as good a season this year as they did last year. Hopefully they don't go and fire him. Hopefully they stick with him and they stick with him for many, many years. But yeah, yeah, like I said, n- nice to see them bottom of the league. And it's the uh, return of the Champions League this week. The Champions. Just had to throw that in there. Bringing it back, Europe. Uh, do you know the song? Being a Chelsea fan? Yeah. <laughs> We're going to edit that one out of the podcast. <laughs> Barcelona playing PSV Eindhoven, Inter Milan versus Tottenham, Club Bruges versus Borussia Dortmund, Monaco versus Atletico Madrid, Red Star Belgrade versus Napoli, Galatasaray versus Lokomotiv Moscow, and I'll give you the, the fixture of the week, the biggest one, Liverpool versus Paris Saint-Germain. Decent. You know, the, the Champions League, the Holy Grail, the, the best club soccer that, that can be found. Club soccer, yeah. Yeah, Americanized, don't I? Yeah. <laughs> Hey, I'm just you know not forgetting where I came from and where I'm now. But what do you guys think? Are we excited to get Europe back on our TVs on Tuesday, Wednesday nights? Yeah, it's always good to have the uh, the Champions League back. Gives you something to do midweek, doesn't it? It me it it you know lets Sam nice sit in the underground on a Tuesday, Wednesday, and uh, any excuse to yeah. be in the underground with a cider and any excuse to be in a bar. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> I couldn't honestly looking at this. There's only two games I really care about. The others I couldn't give. You know, so I'm assuming Liverpool, PSG, and Inter and Tottenham. They don't really care about the other games, to be honest. You know me; I find it very hard to watch other leagues. Don't care about Barcelona and all those other games. I like to watch the British teams. So I think two good matches: Inter Milan, Tottenham. I think Tottenham could get a result there, mm-hmm. uh, but see how the squad is after the weekend and Liverpool, PSG. That's that's going to have a little attack in that game, right? So That's going to be plenty of entertainment for the American crowd oh, in that game, I feel like. That's offense. It's going to be a, a boatload of fireworks before the game. Oh. <laughs> Cannot wait for that. Sam, anything on the Champions League? No. Not a fan? <laughs> Not a fan? <laughs> no, I'll be pretty similar to Carl. Those are the two games I'll be watching. Other ones, obviously I'll watch the highlights, but... Those are the two the two big games, just with the, the English contingency, you know, cheering yeah. them on, hoping they do well. Okay, so just quickly, going to get your predictions right now. Go bold. One team that's winning the Champions League this year, who is it, Sam? I know it's early and it's not even started, but just fr- go If for I it. was betting, I would go Paris Saint-Germain. Fancy's the French side from Paris. Shout out to Kevin Lopez there for you. Uh, I'm going to go... 
I think City have got it on the radar oh, big time. Yeah. I, I think that I think Guardiola is gonna push for it. I really do. So I hate to say it, but as a Man United fan as I well, know, yeah, noisy neighbours. Yeah. No. But no, I'm just gonna say it. All right. Personally, for me, oh, I'm gonna go big. I'm gonna I'm gonna go Barcelona. Well, we all know you're either a Chelsea fan or a Barcelona fan. I'm, so. I'm, I'm going to be, I'm gonna be complete. It's one or the other fan, yeah, like, yeah, right. who's, who's Barcelona's player to watch this year, Messi? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just keep an eye out this little small Argentinian no, have you heard of this Brazilian guy Neymar oh, I think he's the player yeah, I think yeah. he's definitely the player to watch I'll be honest I actually prefer Real Madrid oh, to Barcelona hey, let's talk about this for a minute what's that what about PSG's kit oh sponsored by the one and only Air Jordan Michael Jordan's brand yeah what do we think about that I know one of our coaches in the club Chris Ndukaba is a big fan right yeah Chris Ndukaba <laughs> <laughs> whatever he said yeah also known as Coops. No, even Kevin, our you know French coach, loves it. He loves collaboration, but I don't know. Air Jordan did sponsor uh, Triple G. They've sponsored him for a long time. Yeah, the boxer. So I- I'm not sure. I like it, but the way the way it's all going, money, money, you money. Know, uh, sure. Who sponsors? Uh, it's Forest. The fashion brand. The fashion brand. What's that? What's that brand called? Uh, we were talking about this recently. We're not sure. Yeah. But Sam, I mean, quick, let's let's we, we'll go back to that conversation. We'll that, yes. Sam, what do you think about? It is a little bit different with it being a new brand, a bit, little bit better brand than uh, Macron to be sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> a non-league reference there, Macron. What about Zara? Zara's a funny one as well. I've I heard H and M are going in for uh, Wigan. <laughs> it's it's interesting, but I think it's just the way the world's going. You know what I mean? The the Yeezy collaboration on the shoes and all that but I just thought this the stuff's good you know it, yeah. it does look it, it just looks like Nike to be honest it just looks the yeah. exact same for right? the American crowd he referenced Nike will we get a Calvin Klein or a Hugo Boss sponsor soon you think <sighs> we're a lot of Hugo Boss in Liverpool don't they maybe Liverpool is yeah. no 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 the next one has got to be Gucci what team Chelsea well, thingy already, Man City now. You know, Man City's got that collaboration oh. with uh, the Squared. Yeah. You know, all the hats they wear, the icon, Guardiola all the Guardiola's, all Guardiola's clothes are from that. Like, you know, those shoes he wears that have yeah. got like five stripes on it? They're like $400. Yeah. Get back, get yourself a pair of those. Nah, I'm good. Nah, you uh, they remind me of the PE teacher that couldn't afford Adidas back in the day. <laughs> Eddie Howe. <laughs> nah, Eddie Howe loves a pair of all black He's trainers. the biggest PE teacher slash jogger PE teacher I've yeah, ever yeah. seen in the Premier League. He does. He, he loves a pair of Hackney specials. Carl's currently wearing a pair of, uh, what are they, Adidas Reebok collab, a pair of Conor McGregor's. Yeah, he just, just can't afford those Gucci, Gucci yeah. ones. And, you know? Board meeting for the DOC. Hey, yeah. Sam's wearing a pair of, you know, Air Max. There's at least four or five chavs walking around, <laughs> walking around, waiting, wearing them. I didn't know whether there was going to be any trouble today, you know? <laughs> hey, by the way, what about his hat? What about his hat? Yeah, who's A wearing? Ralph Lauren peaked hat. Yeah, you know, I'm just keeping it real. You know, mixing up the style here. Anyways, back to the Premier League. All right, so 
I would like to finish. I know Sam's eager to talk about this. You know, we touched on it earlier from a club soccer perspective as youth coaches, if we didn't forget that already. Um, contact sport, the physicality of the game. A certain uh, Wilfred Zahar, member of the Crystal Palace team in the Premier League, had an interview after the game, his game this weekend, where he touched on, you know, pretty much being assaulted on the field and getting beat up, various nasty tackles going in on him, and he felt like he wasn't being protected by the league and the referees. Uh, Sam, I know you wanted to kind of go touch on this. Um, yeah, yeah. This, so... this one's a little bit different to what we were talking about because I think there are some players who go out there to hurt him and put him off his game, which is obviously they're at the highest level, they're trying to get any advantage they can, so I understand it. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I understand it. Um, but I see where he's coming from because he's that good of a player that players are trying to kick him. So fair enough, if they want to go and try and kick him, it's not a problem. But if they are fouling him and intentionally fouling him, then he needs to be able to work that advantage to where they're getting yellow cards, they're getting red cards. So then his team and him are then have that advantage that he's gained from being such a good player, if that makes sense. Yeah, no. So I feel... I mean, I, I haven't seen what he's talking about this weekend, um, but, I mean, he's a good player. If I was playing against him, I might have to try and kick him to stop him. And <laughs> I would be crossing my fingers that the, the referee... It's the wicked of them. That the referee didn't pull, <laughs> pull any cards out of his pocket, but... I see where he's coming from. I think he's bang on. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. I'd like, like to see him protected a little bit more, if you will. Carl uh, really wants to jump on this, yeah? <coughs> I think it's complete rubbish. <laughs> Honestly. I, I really do. And I think it's it's the soft culture. It's definitely the Irish coming out. <laughs> <and> <laughs> no, no. I, I think it's just the soft mentality. I'm sure my, my main man, Paul Merson, would agree with me. It, it's It's... You know what? It, it comes with the territory, especially now. Look, look at the defenders. Look at the size of defenders now. You know, yeah, they're six foot six. They're big guys. If you want to be a striker and you want to compete, it's going to be a physical game. I'm sorry. I, I totally. Uh, I don't know if I'm disagreeing with Sam. I kind of. I think you are. I'm but, that's a disagreement. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's it's complete rubbish for him to come out and say that people are targeting me. Uh, well, they're hardly going to let him just walk past them mm. you know what I mean so I think it's a soft culture it's the same as I need a rest you're on you... 150 grand a week if I'm on that I don't need no rest <laughs> <laughs> because when I'm not working and my job's not playing football mm. I'm sure I'm resting sitting in my Gucci freaking uh, you know slippers wa slippers whatever it is, sitting back, relaxing in my, my, my mansion, my McMansion. So <laughs> it's, it's the culture, Shout it's, it's a self-culture. Honestly, it, it, it's reminding me of here, the focus being on, you know, the referees need to protect me. The game has changed so much already. You can barely put a hard tackle in. So I'm not saying what Sam was talking about was rubbish. I think Zaha saying that is complete and utter rubbish. Get on with it again, man. Stern words coming there. Do you think it's a very similar situation to the Neymar in the World Cup? Which has uh, been, a, let's be honest, it's been a bit of a phenomenon. Nah, I think... You I know, think, with the kids rolling around I on the floor. I think Neymar I mean, was taking it way too far when he in the World Cup. Neymar was embarrassing in the World Cup. Yeah. I mean, again, people are targeting him, but he's no need to be rolling around 12 times and whatever, whatever. If you're getting targeted, yeah, you get kicked, you, you get up, you take it, you carry on. So do you think that's the reason why the Ronaldinho's, the Messi's, I'm going to say it, I know I'm going to get criticised for it, the Hazards, that's why they're appreciated so much more because of the fact they do get fouled numerous times a game but they do 
get up and just get on with it. You never see these guys, these type of players, you know, kicking and screaming and and worrying about it. They just get up and carry on. This is a sign of their superiority, maybe. You know. Look, the, the diving and all that stuff is a different conversation to what we're talking we'll about get to now. On another episode, yeah. It really is. Uh, I think everybody knows what the Premier League is, and it's it's a physical, tough game, right? And I hope it never loses that and becomes the Spanish or Italian league, right? Because it's a snooze fest. It, it really is. When it's not Barca and Madrid, it's pretty much a snooze fest. I think like the dive in, right? Ronaldo will dive. Yeah. Every player will dive to get their team an advantage. But I think the difference is coming out and saying, people need to protect me. It's a soft culture. Ronaldo was in the Premier League getting smashed left, right and centre, you know. He's never came out and said, people need to protect me. He gets it. He's a luxury player. And what do you think the other team's going to do? They're going to try to knock him off his game, which is having the ball and rinsing people. So, Zaha, I think you need a man up, my friend. Simple as that. We'll see if we can link Wilfred in for next yeah, week. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll send him a message on Twitter. Wilfred, get your people to contact him. Yeah. Get him on as a guest and see what he thinks. See if him and Carl can have a, a verbal scrap about it. I'm sure he'll get over it when he gets into his Maserati, you know, and drives back home. You know, move on, man. All right, and guys, I just want to finish up the podcast with... your. We talked last week about the players to watch. Um, we all had our votes on that last time. Just finishing up with this week in your opinion signing of the summer you know maybe a little bit more of a low key version you know the obvious is would be the people who are being bought for you know 20 billion dollars we don't want to really get touch on them guys maybe like a low key version of the signing of the summer someone that we may not think about Sam we'll go with you first uh, I picked uh, Shakiri from Liverpool formerly of Stoke City yeah yeah so I think think he's uh... same haircut right <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say he more hey. than me to be honest <laughs> Well, I think Sam might have even called Shakiri this weekend at his tournament. <laughs> Banging goals. So, and his Barnet. His yeah, Barnet was a little loose same, around the Same edges. build. I actually, mm-hmm. I, sh- I showed up and I didn't have my shirt, so I got a medium shirt. It was quite tight like Shakiri's as well. Yeah, Shakiri hates to wear <laughs> a baggy shirt. You don't have the calves, though, do you? He, don't he, have the calves. He doesn't have the belly. <laughs> So uh, when you were on the dance floor, they weren't saying Shakira. They were yeah, saying Shakira. He even tries to wear his hair like Sam and cover those edges up. You know that's showing. All right, back to it. Why? Why Shakira, Sam? Um, I just think I think he's a he's a top player, and they brought him in. I think they could easily slot him in in place of one of the front three. Not seen much of a difference. I think he's that good of a player, and I just think as the season goes on, if they get an injury to. Firmino, Mane, Salah, I think he can step in, he's a great replacement. He's also going to be there, I think, pushing those three every day in practice. Yep. And I think he's just, as long as he can like control, he's got a bit of a big-time attitude, you know, he's, he's a big-time player. As long as he can control that and he can take sitting on the bench for long periods, I think he'll be, mm. uh, he'll be very, very good for him. All right, uh, Carl? Who who would be your player and why? <coughs> of the signing market, the transfer. Yeah, market. so the recent summer transfer market. Yeah, uh, someone maybe we wouldn't guess off the top of your head. Well, we talked about Watford and them flying. I think Ben Foster is a great signing. He's goalkeeper. A, he's a cultured goalkeeper in the Premier League. He also comes up with massive saves. You know, I think anywhere he's been, he's always pulled off a couple of worldy performances. And I think uh, for a squad like Watford, he just adds a, a whole new strength. 
you know, I'm actually sad to see that he never played as as many games as I think he could have for England. Yeah. I think he's a great goalkeeper, I really do. Uh, but yeah, it's just again the manager, different country, bring it brings in a British goalkeeper with a lot of personality. He'll add a lot to that team, mm-hmm. and it's shown so far. You know, against United, he he did well at the weekend, and and he'll do that all season, and he'll do that against the big teams as well, where Watford will need the help. Yeah. You know, so yeah, what what did he say? I don't know actually what he signed for. Or oh, what? very. I think it was very minimum. Bag of footballs, weren't it? <laughs> <laughs> Snickers and a monster. You know, him to me, he, again, he's the type of player that's not going to come on the camera and ask for protect me, protect me, I'm the keeper. That's the difference. So, anyways. Yeah, just checking Google here. He was signed for a pucker pie and his wage is a Snickers bar a week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me, I'm going to touch on uh, a young English talent coming through for Leicester City. Um, Leicester Square. Oh, sorry, that's it, yeah. Mark Wahlberg over there. Uh, James Madison I think he's been a great signing for Leicester uh, coming from Norwich City in the Championship the league below for a, a pretty big price actually for an English player around the 20 million mark which is a lot of money um, I think he's adjusted to the Premier League really well I think he brings a very technical approach to that team really wants to get the ball down and play plays in the number 10 position just behind the, the forward in the attacking midfield you know 5 foot 9 smaller player but you know, brings a lot to that team on the, playing on the deck, and I think you know five got five appearances, two goals, couple of assists, and he's also recently been called up to the England under twenty one team. Will he step in and replace Mares? Is he that big? You think that big of a player? I think right now, not no. I think Mares is a big loss for Leicester with his ability, which is obvious, being signed by Manchester City. You know, and James Madison's very young. You know, only twenty one, uh, and I think he's gonna have a. It's gonna take time to see his true potential and see how much he can affect this team. A team that I think is trying to push on. I mean, they won the league a couple of years ago, which is obviously incredible, but I think they're trying to push on to the higher higher lengths of the, the league. And I think James Madison can be a big part of that. So, you know, I think he's definitely one to watch. I think he's going to be a great signing for them and he'll be worth every penny. What uh, what number is he for the uh, the fans listening back home? He's number 10. So the curvated number 10, the, the very ever famous number 10 that club parents are fighting for every week for their kids to wear and grace on the fields you uh, know for me good. number 11 here's one that we should confirm for me as well. number 7 7 for Carl Te- 11 Always. for me is, uh, is Ben Foster is he the typical number 1 or did he get double zero at Watford not sure <laughs> I think we'll have to ask his agent right uh, he's number 26 John Terry Good choice. John Terry's number. That's Sam, your favourite number in soccer? I've got a feeling Sam's uh, more of a four. Four or five. Nah, I used to want eight. eight. When, back yep. in the day when centre midfielders, it was two in the middle. Gaza. Four, four was the holder, eight was the attacker. So I used to always want number eight. What about number six as a holding midfielder? It never was back then, was it? When I was growing up, it just became... Probably when I was in college, the number six became the, the holder. Yeah. All right, guys, I think we'll wrap it up there. Any... Final thoughts, Carl? Anything you want to leave the fans with who are listening? No. I think Wilfred Saha, man up. That's, that's all I've got to say about that. Sam? I'd just love it if we can get hold of Wilfred somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and from me, watch Eden Hazard. Thanks, guys. Oh, goodness. <laughs> All right.
right guys and that'll do it for week two of our new up and 90 podcast presented by sand and surf soccer club for our members coming up this week velocity training starts on tuesday and thursday for our younger teams so make sure you check that schedule uh message your coaches if you've forgotten that and get out there work with the velocity sports performance coaches over in redondo great program there and also for us skills clinic starts this week wednesday six to seven for the younger age groups 2010s to 2007s and 7 to 8 p.m for the older age groups 06s and above over at the ever famous tenure of begfield we look forward to seeing you out there make sure you listen subscribe share the link get us in the number one charts we're a lot better than sky sports and we'll go from there all right guys see you later Upper 90, a podcast presented by Sand and Surf Soccer Club. Harry Keane for the Hotspurs. Ooh, top shelfer.